0: Welcome to another edition of the SSPX Podcast, and our newest episode of Questions with Father. This time, Father Robinson will be discussing the difference between Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost. Why is it that traditional Catholics use Holy Ghost, while essentially the rest of the Christian world uses Holy Spirit? Also, we'll be talking about end-of-life issues. What is ordinary means versus extraordinary means? Who should be making decisions for someone who is unable to take care of themselves? And are Catholics bound to honor the final wishes of a loved one? And if you like these episodes, there's two ways that you can help. The first one is easy. Simply rate or subscribe to the podcast, and you can share it with a friend. Those things help us climb in the rankings and help more people to discover the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism, which is what we're trying to do here with the SSPX Podcast. The other way you can help is materially, by donations. If you go to sspx.gifts, you'll find Angelus Press as one of the apostolates that you can donate to. Just put a note in there that you would like this to go towards the podcast and your donation will help immensely. Any donations towards this apostolate would be greatly appreciated and your support will help to make sure that the SSPX podcast continues to grow and continues to find new episodes as time goes on. But that's enough of the public radio style asking for donations part of this podcast. We'll dive right in to our interview with Father Paul Robinson And questions with father well we are here with another edition of the SSPX podcast starting season two with questions with father with father Paul Robinson hello father how are you
1: hello Andrew Uh, doing well glad to be back for another season of the SSPX podcast
0: very good I am too and you are starting a new year with at the seminary as well is that right
1: that's correct you know even uh, it's it's the month of March but th- that is the the time when we begin here in Australia our academic year uh, it's the it's the fall we're just starting the fall uh, here and just like in the United States we, we begin our academic year in the fall so um, yeah we just started we've got seven uh, new humanities seminarians and two new brother postulants so that's pretty good numbers for us and um, we, we've got the ball rolling, and it looks like it's going to be a, a, great, a great year here at the seminary.
0: That's wonderful. We recently posted an article on the fsspx.news website, which is the international news website for the, uh, for the SSPX. Uh, there's a new year in, in Argentina as well, so all the seminaries in the southern hemisphere are getting going, and uh, I believe it's the largest number ever of new seminarians for the, for the entire southern hemisphere for the society. So wonderful news all the way around.
1: Wow, I didn't know that. That's uh, that is great
0: news. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for taking the time. Uh, we have a we have a couple questions um, to pose to you, and uh, one of them, I guess, is, is a, a very basic one that we never covered uh, in in our first season, and that is uh, the distinction between Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost. Uh, one of our listeners said, I, I note that Novus Ordo Catholics and Protestants call the third person of the Trinity the Holy Spirit, uh, but in the sspx we say the the holy ghost and in, and in other traditional circles as well uh why the difference
1: well i i think um the first thing to be pointed out is that they they mean exactly the same thing i mean when when catholics and uh, and even protestants say holy spirit or holy ghost uh, they're referring to the third person the blessed trinity so there's no real difference in signification what what the words mean to indicate um but the the main reason for the difference is um, the the translations of the Bible that have been given to us. So the Bible refers to the third person, the Blessed Trinity, on several places, especially in the New Testament. Um, And at the time that the the most popular translations were made, uh, the the Douay-Rheims for Catholics and the King James Bible for the Protestants, um, the word ghost meant an immaterial being. It, It was just a generic word for a spirit. Over time, you know, in, in modern English, it, it doesn't really mean that. It doesn't really have that, that connotation. It means, you know, like something spooky. Um, you got the <laughs> spirit of a deceased person who is uh, sort of haunting <laughs> some house or what have you. That's, that's what we typically think of when we when we think of ghosts today. But uh, back then it had a more generic meaning, meaning uh, just an immaterial being. And I think that's still indicated – uh, today, in the in the usage, sometimes you hear people saying that that so-and-so gave up the ghost. Um, and and that's what what they mean. they They mean that just they they give up their soul. ghost is a, is a word for soul. So because uh, traditional Catholics have have generally gravitated towards the douay Reims version of the Bible, uh, that's probably one reason why they prefer Holy Ghost. Even some pre- Vatican II translations of the Bible, uh, Catholic Prevec in two translations, such as the Confraternity version or the Knox version, you will see Holy Spirit. And, and, and the Confraternity is pretty much all the time. It's Holy Spirit. In the Knox version, it's sometimes Holy Spirit, sometimes Holy Ghost. Perhaps Holy Spirit is, is, a, is more modern English. It's more correct uh, according to the way we use English now. And Holy Ghost is more archaic. Um, but they both mean the same thing. And so it's not really something we should fight with people over. Uh, it's not uh, one of those things where, you know, you've, you've got a change in, in practice that compromises the faith. This is definitely not one of those examples.
0: Right. And, and this, is, this kind of proves exactly the point of, of why Holy Mother Church uses Latin uh, for, for, its, uh, for its liturgy and, and for its practices. The fact that language changes all the time i mean so what you're saying is is there's really no no difference between saying holy spirit and holy ghost you could say you could use them interchangeably but i, I guess in in modern english in the way that we use english today spirit means more of uh, i guess soul and ghost means more you know the spirit without the body after life they're, they're kind of the same thing but it's uh we we have a different feeling
1: yeah yeah that that's exactly right i mean the the vulgate would just have spiritus sanctus um which You know, it has been, as we say, translated differently in English as Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. Uh, The word ghost um, is a Germanic word, has a Germanic origin, comes from geist. In, uh-huh. in German uh, like I don't know sometimes you hear the word zeitgeist is, sure. is the spirit of the age where, whereas Spiritus has a Latin origin a more um, sort of Romance language origin someone hearing it for for the the first time who's who's not a Catholic who's who's not really familiar with with Christianity um, and and yet speaks English might find it a little bit strange whereas Holy Spirit might might seem a bit more normal sure. just because ghosts, sounds like something spooky a holy holy <laughs> right. spooky thing or something <laughs> right yeah right, exactly but, uh, there's absolutely no problem um, with with using Holy Ghost of course and and I'm not um, recommending that, that we that we change that practice
0: okay well very interesting thank you for clarifying that one father uh, we normally do two to three sometimes four questions I, I think uh, I think this time we may just do a couple questions uh, partly because uh, a this this next question is uh, fairly complicated and also it there's a few questions wrapped up into it uh, but it all deals with end of life issues uh, which I know was the major topic for the Angeles press conference this past year the leading question to this what what this listener wanted to know was about life sustaining therapy and it, it's simply when is it ethical to limit life sustaining therapy for a patient um, I guess it I guess everything would depend on defining what life-sustaining therapy is and the church has said there's extraordinary means uh and ordinary means so maybe we start there by defining those and and go from that father as you say the the
1: most important distinction to be made in this question is as far as the church is concerned so the church is the one who teaches us morality um and what what is lawful before god and, and what is not lawful what are our duties before god and what are not our duties And in this question um, that has become more complicated with the advancement of technology, because we can often um, sustain life with, with powerful technologies in a way that we were not able to before, uh, the Church clarifies that everyone is obliged to use ordinary means for the preservation of their own life, uh, but they are not obliged to use extraordinary means for the preservation of their life. And what, what complicates this this question, this distinction between ordinary and extraordinary means, um, and this is often the case in moral theology, is that there's, there's a certain subjective element um, in discerning what are ordinary means, and extraordinary means um, uh, the, is we. The, it's primarily based on the objective, but there's also a subjective element that can uh, influence what our determination of ordinary, ordinary and extraordinary means is. So um, let me just go through the the characteristics of the ordinary means, and uh, we can see what we're talking about. So okay, um, and the the first characteristic of an ordinary means is that it's something common. Um, that's used for the preservation of life. It's something that, that everybody uh, would use in normal circumstances for the preservation of their life, such as uh, food, water, clothing, housing, uh, medicines, and having recourse to a doctor. So, um, you know, this is just a typical aspect of, of the human experience is that we we use these things to, to preserve life. They, they do not demand a special diligence or solicitude to obtain and things that, that you would say, wow, you're, you're living in a house? I mean, <laughs> what's going on, man? That's, that's incredible. No, right, it's right. just the, 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 the ordinary things. Secondly, ordinary means would be means that would correspond to one's station in life, and this is where you get a bit of a subjective element. In other words, the means that you take are ordinary if they correspond to one's relative position in the social ladder, so means that might be judged excessive for the man on the street uh, would not be considered excessive for someone who holds a position of extreme importance, um, such as a, a, the president of a nation or the general of an army. What might be um, extraordinary means for the man on the street would be ordinary for the general just because it's so necessary to preserve his life. Okay. The third characteristic is um, that the ordinary means should be easy to acquire and use – so, depending on where you live, what sort of opportunities you have available in in your local area, ordinary means would be medicines or treatments that do not impose upon you a great burden of expense or difficulty um, or pain. So, just you know, medicines that you can easily find in in any pharmacy, and and they're not medicines that that uh, costs $3,000 for, for each bottle of the medicine. Um, or, you know, there's no need to, for you to go to the other side of, of the world. Like I I don't have to fly to the Mayo clinic or, or wherever in order to get that treatment. Okay. And then the fourth and final characteristic of the ordinary means is that there has to be the hope of some, uh, beneficial result from taking the medicine. Um, if there's no expectation that the medicine um, or the treatment is going to help you out then it's not an ordinary means it's it's considered to be an extraordinary means and there's and there's no obligation so those are the four characteristics of, of the ordinary means under which if if the if the treatment or the medicine or, or the activity that, that one needs to take uh, falls in these four characteristics then one is morally obliged to make use of them
0: I was going to ask what you just uh, what you just concluded with, and that was if someone needs one of these four criteria or one of these four things that falls into this category, it, it must be provided. Either you provide it to yourself, or you be, or you provide it to a loved one, uh, and you cannot withhold that. That's ordinary means, life sustaining.
1: Yes, well, it, and in fact, if if one of them fails, then it falls in the category of extraordinary means. So really, um, all four of the characteristics have to be present for it to be ordinary means. If one of them is not present, then um, likely falling in in the category of extraordinary means.
0: Okay, and then I guess there's, criteria for extraordinary means as well. Would that basically just be the opposite of what we just talked about, or are there specific categories for a kind of a treatment that would fall under extraordinary means?
1: Pretty much uh, the the opposite of uh, what we were just talking about. So if the characteristics for the ordinary means are uh, not present in in one of the the four ways, then um, you're you're going outside of ordinary means and falling into extraordinary. So, Um, But if I if I go over these characteristics, perhaps uh, the contrast will will become clear. Okay, the first feature of an extraordinary means is, is a general feature, and the rest are more specific. The first feature is just impossibility. You can't have recourse to the means for whatever reason. It might arise from the individual circumstances any any sort of impossibility that that may arise because of of one's financial situation or one's uh, repugnance to the treatment um, or one's particular location, or even even the current state of of one's health. you know all all of those can can uh, make it the treatment sort of disqualified for regular use. Okay. So to get into some specifics, three three specific situations in which it would be impossible or near impossible to make use of the means. The first would be if it's if it takes a very great effort to use or procure the means as i as i mentioned before if you if you have to travel to the mayo clinic it's just it's just too far away you're you're living in india you can't get there you know mayo clinic is the only place in the world that has the treatment um and you live in india so it's just it's impossible um or you know the, the treatment is 10 hours of physical therapy a day and i mean you're just not that kind of person who's able to handle Ten hours of, of, of physical therapy. Um, there's just no way you're going to be able to, to do that. Okay. Another one would be the the terrible side effects that come from from using the means. Perhaps the the uh, the treatment provokes intense and constant pain, and it's just hardly can be endured. Um, you know, and sometimes something like chemotherapy, for instance, um, has has terrible side effects, um, and some people are particularly Averse to going through that for for a particular person that that can be um, extraordinary means. Okay. Another example is if the the expense is outrageous. As I mentioned, you know, if, if you got to pay three thousand dollars for for a bottle of medicine and and you've you've only got five thousand dollars in the bank and and you've got ten children, you know, what I mean, it's just there's no way um, you 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 there's no obligation to reduce you and your family to poverty in order to use those means um, and then the last example would be um if if uh for whatever reason a person has an intense horror um for for using the means um you know say saint alphonsus he even gives the example of of a consecrated virgin who who needs a treatment and um the the, the only doctor available is a, is a male doctor and she would just um yeah, really feel extremely, uh, uncomfortable to, to be treated by a male doctor. So, um, that can be an example, of, uh, the means person on the subjective level.
0: You know, we, we hear people say, well, I would rather die than do that. Uh, <laughs> most of the time people are exaggerating when they exactly. say that, but, it, but literally if, if you would <laughs> rather die, then that would be uh, that would be a, an intense, uh, feeling of horror and that would, that would fit there. Um. One, one thing that, that was interesting to me, and I was reading a little bit about this before before we talked in, in preparation for this, uh, there's a difference between providing food and, and water. And, and we talked about this at the very top that, you know, food and water, that's ordinary means you have to provide that. There's a difference between food and water and artificially providing some or so like a, a through a feeding tube or something um, and someone needing artificial respiration. Uh, those are not the same, are they?
1: They are not, you know, uh, in, in the mind of the church. Uh, effectively, the, the church has stated very clearly that um, nutrition and hydration, providing a food and water to a patient um, all throughout the course of their life is ordinary means by definition. Um, whereas artificial respiration, um, in, in many cases, would be considered to be uh, extraordinary means, though, though not all cases. Um, and the the reason for this is that um the the uh the human being in our human condition um we are we are provided food um from from the very beginning um by by others so um it's it's just part of nature that that uh, our mother feeds us when when we come out of the womb and um we we be spoon-fed for, for a given period, and then our body does the work of digestion and assimilation of that, of that food. Um, but at no point are we, are we, uh, does, does anybody breathe for us, uh, any machine or what have you. So um, th- this is the main distinction here, is that, that providing food and water to human beings is just part of the natural order of things. You provide food and water for them um, at the beginning of their life and, and at the end of their life, um, whereas having a machine breathe for you, do that that function for you, um, is is not according to the natural order of, of things. And um, as as such, you know it's 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 a bit out of the ordinary. It's 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 extraordinary. As I say, in some cases, I mean, if if you've got a, a young person who's who's uh, been in a car accident and and just needs the the respirator for a while, that you need to have the respirator you shouldn't sure. you shouldn't deprive that person of the of the respirator um, but if if it's a question of of having the respirator on for you know day in day out for for an extended period of time um, there's no obligation there to to do that
0: and and you kind of raised an, an interesting uh, an interesting part of this whole discussion father and that is it's not morally wrong necessarily to follow what would be considered extraordinary means uh you can you can do extraordinary means if if you want to uh i guess what the church is saying is that you don't have to it's not like there's a moral obligation so if you have a loved one and you want to have them on a respirator for 10 years even though it is by definition unnatural that's not necessarily wrong is that right
1: that's correct i mean um this is this is just a, a prudential discernment and so the church is not telling you what to do and what not to do um, in, a, in a given situation with regards to the extraordinary means. She's just giving her children prudential guidelines. She's saying, "Look, in this area, um, the extraordinary means. There, there is no obligation to use them before God. Uh, so you, you will not be offending God if you, if you choose prudentially uh, that that these means." Are are just not um, reasonable for you, but she's not at the same time telling you you can't use the means if you would like to. Um, of course, again, a, unless you offend against prudence. I mean, I think it would it would be immoral for um, a, a husband of a family to uh, father of a family to to impoverish his whole family in order to to treat his disease, for instance, in an extraordinary way.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Well, I pivoting a bit to someone who's. Under your care, for instance, who should be the one to make the decisions uh, when a patient is, is unable to? Uh, usually it falls to a spouse or uh, a mother or a father or a family member, but is there does the church weigh in on any of these types of questions?
1: Well, I think as far as, as we Catholics are concerned, what we have first in mind and everything that we do, hopefully, is um, the rights of God. Uh, God is, is the one who has brought us in, into existence, and, and he's the one who sustains us in existence, and, and our, uh, our life belongs firstly to him. So we have this duty to do what's right before God above all other considerations, whereas in the world they would they would just immediately think about, well, what does the patient want? Um, well, if, if the patient wants something that's sinful, um, then we must not cooperate with that. And that's, um, you know, the, the example, the extreme example of that is euthanasia. I mean, if, if someone um, says, oh, I don't have a sufficient quality of life, I'm not getting as much out of life as I used to, right. then I, I just, uh, I, I want to end my life. and But well, you, can't, you can't cooperate with that. You can't say, well, this is what the patient wants, so let's do it. Um, no. so. I think the best persons to have on hand to make the decisions for the patients um, are the ones who are going to make uh, the, the, the right decision before God. The ones who are going to consider um, what what's, uh, God w- would, would serve him uh, first and, and then follow through with that.
0: I, I think in, in our culture today, there's almost a sanctity that's given to someone who's, who's dying or on their deathbed or going through a difficult medical condition. Um, and saying, well, this is what they would have wanted. And it's, it's almost like a canonization and saying, well, this, we must do this. And no, that's, that's not the case at all. You, you do what must be done. And I, I guess the church is consistent in that way, drawing a parallel all the way from baptism. You know, Godparents answer for a child on their behalf and do what is best for them, and we follow through all the way into, until death.
1: That's exactly right. It's it's a good comparison I mean, you know the, the problem one of the major problems with the matter, modern world is that they uh, canonize free will they, they effectively make free will the ultimate determinant of of right and wrong um, And so this this absolute liberty without reference to anything else And so whatever what anything anybody wants must be given to them by definition by the fact that they're a human being Right. But that's not our perspective at all. No our our free will must be submitted firstly to, to the law of God. We're not uncreated gods who are able to decide what's right and wrong.
0: Exactly. Well, the, the last part of this question, Father, uh, to, to wrap up this this topic of uh, end of life issues uh, is about is about patient suffering. Obviously we know as Catholics that, that we can offer things up uh, and there's a great merit there. If a patient is suffering, and if there's someone underneath your care who, who is suffering, um, what is, does the church weigh in on that, or is there any, any anything that we can draw on as far as uh, you know, relieving their suffering, relieving their pain, or or not?
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I think again, there, there's a balance to be held here, and there's a Catholic perspective, and there's a worldly perspective on this. This is a question of palliative care: how, uh, to what. Length should we go to to relieve the pain of those suffering? Modern medical practice tends to go overboard. I'm certainly not morally wrong to give morphine to a patient who is suffering to reduce their pains. Uh, but what can happen is, and, I, and I've heard people tell tell me this, um, who have loved ones in the hospital and they're being treated. And what happens is that they, um, the nurses or the doctors, they just uh, give such extreme doses of, of morphine that, that the, the the patients are completely comatose. They're just right. completely out of it. They don't know what's happening to them. And it, it gets to the point even where it becomes a form of euthanasia because the body is is no longer able to perform its proper functions. It's just in, in such a drugged-up state. Um, so it actually... Accelerates the death of the patient. I, I remember someone telling me one time that they went in to see their their mother, their loved one, and then another family member came who had who was a nurse and had medical experience and, and looked at the dosage and said, "This this is extreme. I mean, what they're what they're giving um, to to this woman." And so they made them reduce the dosage, and and after that, the the, the woman more or less recovered. Um, her her body oh, wow. started. To come back to life and and to do its natural uh, repairing functions. So um, a, another aspect of, of this is is that it is important that we have some consciousness at the end of our life. Um, this is the most important time for us to, to gain merit, to um, reduce our time in purgatory, um, to prepare ourselves for, for meeting God. So uh, while, whereas the world would see pain as the ultimate evil and want to get rid of it at all costs, um, we would see suffering as, as a means for us to get a higher place in heaven, uh, to make up for our past sins, to draw down graces on our family. Um, so many great benefits. Um, so it's, it's uh, important for someone to have a, a good death. And perhaps it's most important for someone to have a good death, but you just can't do that if you're, if you're completely drugged up and out of it.
0: Right. And, and just to be clear, I mean, father, you're not saying uh, father's not advocating to be barbaric and, and withhold all pain medication from, from a patient. Uh, but again, finding that balance, um, someone is in a, a massive amount of pain. Okay. Yes. Well, we will relieve the pain of course, but, um, not to the extent that they're just a total zombie for the last you know yeah. week that they're alive. That's, that's totally, uh, totally a waste
1: yes, yes it's it's a total waste on the supernatural level as I say so um just as you indicated, there's a
0: balance here very interesting well th- there's 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 a lot more that could be said about this whole topic and, and end of life issues um the angelus again, like I've said at the very beginning has a uh, conference the, the recordings are available for purchase on, on the website at angeluspress.org. Um, and there's there's talks about this and, and many other issues on on the topic but it's a fascinating question I'm glad we got it father and thank you for uh, diving into that with us uh, and and shedding a little bit of light on it
1: my pleasure I appreciate uh, your
0: time absolutely well we will talk again very soon and uh, I hope you have a wonderful week with the seminarians down in Australia father Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Questions with Father on the SSPX podcast. We'll be back with another episode very soon. And don't forget our parish mission is coming up, our virtual parish mission. During Passion Week and Holy Week, we'll be broadcasting special segments that you can use for your Lenten meditations as we approach Easter. And if you would like to support the SSPX podcast, you can subscribe or leave a rating, or you can leave us a donation at SSPX.gifts.com. Just search for Angelus Press and leave a note when you check out that this is for the SSPX podcast. Thank you for your support, and thank you for helping to share the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism.